I, I grew up in a, in a Greek Orthodox background, um, or Eastern Orthodox, you wanna, whatever you want to call it. So the Orthodox are Eastern Greek and Russian. Uh, Russian has a different calendar than the Greek and the Eastern Orthodox. In Eastern Orthodox, you'll have um, Serbians, you'll have Bulgarians, Romanians, uh, Moldovians, and some part of Ukraine. Some part of Ukraine is Russian uh, Orthodoxy. So, and the Greek have their own, you know, they have a beautiful country, they have a beautiful Orthodoxy. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, they're different. Uh, but I, I grew up in this context, and it was not just the Greek Orthodox context that I grew up, but it was the, it was the communist, that, uh, the communist background that I grew up, and, uh, you know, it's coming to America, so you, you'll probably know what I'm going to talk about it <laughs> very soon. The socialists, we still have social democracy in, in uh, Romania. The people that, uh, that were in power when they exchanged power are the people that are in power now. So it's sad, but I've, I've been growing up basically my entire life, and I've been living my entire life under socialists. Um, but um, I remember when I came to know the Lord, uh, I was 11, and uh, I, uh, I went in the church, and I was expecting the church, it was a Baptist church, I was expecting to see joy, okay? So the, the, the Eastern Orthodox religion is a sad religion, it's a dark religion. They're still stuck in the holies of holies and holies. They're still in somewhere. They're not Jewish, but they're not Christians to me. They're somewhere in between in history. You know, they still have holies of holies. Only the priests can go there. That's something different than the Catholics, for example. And um, no joy. And what made even worse with uh, Eastern Orthodox was the socialists that, you know, just robbed out, the, the joy out of people, basically. But I, I went to church. I got saved. So I, I was thinking, you know, hey, going, in, going to church now and, 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 and starting to meet people that know Jesus, I will see some joy. But it didn't take me a while. It didn't take me a long time to realize that people in the evangelical churches are kind of sad. And no joy, no, no, no excitement, no passion, no... no and, 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 and I was wondering why, why, you know, I, I would go to a, a ball game, football, what you call soccer, but it's real football, okay, American football, it's not football, it's just rugby, whatever it is. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'll go in and watch a game and I will see the excitement of people and the passion of people. They'll be so happy, you know, the love, entertainment. And, and I was looking at the church and I was looking at those people here, you know, just getting excited for a ball. And, and I'm like, what is wrong? What is wrong? Okay, this is not real joy. We know that. Okay, this is not real joy. The real joy comes from salvation. It's the joy of salvation. It comes from Jesus. So you would expect the people that know Jesus, that go to church, to have that uncommon joy okay, that people are looking for, actually. So I've been asking this question. Why? 
Why? How, how to live this life with a joy that is an uncommon joy? How to live this life, not just in the context of church, but, you know, going in your home, at your work. You know, when people look at you to see joy, to see excitement, to see passion, to see enthusiasm. Okay? I know American culture is different. You know, people are more excited in church. They're more. But I've been staying with some people in their homes. And it's not the same excitement anymore. Okay? So uh, the, the question still remains. How to live with such an unusual joy? How to, how to have this joy? How to, how to experience? The world cannot give it. Jesus can give it. Okay. So I want to I look at it in this text. We have here the first, the first church. Um, the moment that have been... That have been uh, people have been looking for for so many years finally came okay galatians 3 it says that the blessing that god has been promising to abraham came that's the holy spirit okay so god made abraham a promise and 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 paul looks back to that and he says in colossians 3 that that promise it was the holy spirit and in Acts 2, you see that moment of the Holy Spirit of God himself coming and dwelling with people. And not just dwelling with them, dwelling in them, which is totally different. We are the temple of the Spirit. And we have here in Acts 2 the, the birth of that, you know. And, and for us as a church, as a new covenant church, that's a very important moment. And we have... In that moment, when Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit comes, we have 3,000 people getting saved. 3,000 people. I mean, when was the last time when you saw 3,000 people getting saved in one day? I mean, there are not that many days like that. So the text that we read at the end of chapter 2 is basically describing this new converts, okay? The new people that met Jesus, Okay, and one word that describes this. I mean, you, <laughs> I don't know if you like when you read your Bible to like, you know, um, transcend yourself in those moments. And, but I always do that. You know, I try to close my eyes and just imagine, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing those 3,000 people that were at it. And I, I, I look at their faces. They're happy. They're excited. They're, they're so passionate. In the text, it says they're joyful, and they have an uncommon joy. Why? Because they met Jesus. And the text describes us and answers to us the question, why were they so happy? Why were they so joyful? Why were they so ready to die for their fate and sacrifice everything? And that's enthusiasm. That's passion. To die for Jesus. And some of them did. Some of them had their possessions taken away. Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews 10. They suffered greatly. But they still had joy. Because they knew Jesus. And they found Jesus. 
So let me read it again to you, so I will refresh it in your mind, and I will actually read it in Romanian, okay? So I'll give you a glimpse of heaven. We're going to speak Romanian in heaven, okay? <laughs> I wish, I mean, <laughs> I already speak it, so. <laughs> okay. Ei stăruiau în învățătura apostolului, so you can follow up in your, in your Bible, în părtășie, în frângerea pâinii și în rugăciuni. Fiecare suflet era plin de frică, iar prin apostol se făceau multe minuni și semne. Toți cei ce credeau erau împreună și aveau toate în comun. Își vindeau proprietățile și averile, iar banii împărțeau între ei în funcție de cum avea nevoie fiecare. În fiecare zi, Continuau să se întâlnească în templu, frângeau pâinea acasă și împărțeau mâncarea cu bucurie și cu inimi sincere. Îl lăbudau pe Dumnezeu și aveau parte de bunăvoința întregului popor și Domnul adăuga în fiecare zi la numărul lor pe cei ce erau mântuiți. Amin. Amen. This passage describes... The ideal of Christian community. I mean, you, you look at this text, and it's the ideal community. But, and, and we call it the ideal community, but it's actually the normal community. When, when you have a number of people that meet Jesus, and they form the community, that's why you see. You see a, a joyful community. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to answer the very question, how can we live with such an unusual joy. So Luke starts talking about those 3,000 people. And in verses 42 and 43, it, it describes, describes them. And it, the, it gives us the first answer to our question. They were showing an uncommon dedication. Okay? Luke says, they devoted themselves... They dedicated themselves, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching or doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Okay? And in verse 43, it says, and amazement, I mean, wow, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So why why do we, why do we have those amazing things happening in this community, okay? We, we look at verse 43, and we ask this question, why? Why, why every soul, why, why everybody was so, you know, amazed by everything that was happening? Why? And, and the answer to that is verse 42, because they devoted themselves to four things. And, and, I, and I don't know how you hear this word devoted or dedicated. I don't know whatever, which one you use. But when I read this, I, I see people, again, that are putting their lives into this. And they're ready to die for the sake of that. So if, if you think you're a dedicated person to the word of God... That means today you're ready to die for the word of God. No matter what the consequences, no matter what people will say, no matter how people will act or react towards you, you are ready to die 
That's dedication. It's to the end. No limits. So when Luke says they were devoted, that's what he's, he means through that. It was not like, you know, they, they were devoted, but something, you know, happened and, and they, you know, they gave up. That's not dedication. Dedication is towards the end. Oh, to the end. And they were dedicated to four things. And, and, I, and I really like the first one, especially for our times when, you know, we got so many charismatic movements, you know, and all of that. You know, some of our contemporaries might have wished it was written like that. And they all began to have all sorts of discoveries and revelation. New and fresh words were spoken through all the disciples of Jesus. But Luke doesn't say that. No. What it says is that the Holy Spirit came. He, he, the blessing promised to Abraham came. And what the first converts did? They dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, doctrine. Teachings of what? Of the of the scriptures, what was, what was for them the Old Testament, what's for us the Word of God. So they became Christians, the Holy Spirit came in their life, and they were dedicated to the Word of God. You cannot separate the work of the Spirit, you cannot separate from the work of the Word. They come together. It cannot be anything like, oh, brother, you know what? I haven't been reading scriptures for a year, but I have everyday encounters with Jesus. There's nothing like that. Okay, I had a friend in Germany who was coming from a charismatic background. And, and you know, I was, I was talking about my passion about the word of God. And, you know, I'm reading this and this, and I don't understand that. And I'm struggling with that. And he was like, I don't understand you, he said. I haven't been reading my Bible for years now. I meet Jesus every day. You need that. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> Look at those guys. They had the Holy Spirit. The presence of God itself in them. They could have said, we don't need Peter. We don't need James. We have the Spirit now. We can do it. No. What were they doing? They were devoting themselves to the Word of God. Because, again, you cannot separate the work of the Spirit from the work of the Word of God. You know why? Because Jesus himself said it. In John, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remember all that I have said to you. Amen. The Spirit work is to point people to Jesus and what he said. Jesus' ministry was to come and show us the Father and do the works of the Father and show the will of the Father. And that's how the Trinity decided to expose itself and, and, and work. And we have to accept that. Yeah, you cannot separate. So they were joyful because they were dedicated to the Word of God. And we've seen in history people that died so we can have the Word of God in our hands. How much do we treasure it? Do you know there's a lot of blood? When you hold your Bible in your hands, there's a lot of blood. Invisible blood, but it's real blood. People died so we can have the Word of God in our hands. Many, 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 many. And many are dying today, missionaries, modern, so others can have the Word of God in their hands. And you know what? Those are people that are joyful. Because they're dedicated to the Word of God. 
and maybe we should learn from them. Maybe that's why we're not joyful. The, 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 the other thing is they were devoted to fellowship. You know, <laughs> they, they were so excited to, to be together every day. They were not dragging their feet to church like we do. Oh, I got to go to church again, go to Sunday school. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm going to skip Sunday school today. I'm just going to go to church. Like Sunday school is not church, you know, but anyway. They were excited. They were happy. I mean, again, if you close your eyes, you can see them. They, got, they wake up in the morning. They were so excited. Oh, today I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters. Yes, I'm going to read the word of God together with them. Yes, we'll be there. I'm going to hear Peter. I'm going to hear James. They were so happy. Where is that? Where is that in our lives? Where is that bonding of fellowship? You know, I, I cannot, can you imagine a conversation like this? And I just made up a conversation from first century. And, you know, two, two new converts in Jerusalem. Let, let's imagine that. We call them John and Tim, okay, Timothy. John, I haven't seen you at church for a while. Why aren't you coming to the church anymore? I do not need to do that. I can't leave my Christianity alone at home. I can have the Bible I can, I can have the Bible study every day uh, with my family. I don't need to come to church anymore. I can live my Christianity on my own. Wow, so you really don't want to come anymore to church? So how are you going to break the bread? You know, take the Lord's Supper. How are you going to do that? Timothy, oh, I can do that. I do not need Peter or James to do it for me. I can do it for myself. I can break the bread. But what are you going to do with your children if the good Lord will save their soul? Who is going to baptize them? Oh, I'll do it myself. Why not? I am the prophet of the family. I can do that. John, but what are you going to do if you get sick? Who is going to pray for you? Oh, Timothy, Jesus will. Jesus is the mediator. He prays for me. I don't need other people to pray for me. I don't need James and Peter to lay their hands on me. I can do it. John, let me ask you one more question. What is your family going to do if you die? Did you think about this? Timothy, the church will help them out. They always do. Can you imagine a conversation like this? Mm-mm. Not when you read a text like Acts, do No. I, I do not know about you, but for me, it is hard to imagine a conversation like this during that time. Times change. Hmm? <laughs> Today, there are so many people calling themselves Christians but never go to church. Never. How can that be? Sharing in with other believers and loving them will always verify our vertical relationship. How can we say that we love God and rejoice in Him when we do not care for those that are called our brothers and, and hardly drag our feet at church? How can you call yourself a Christian? And that's what Luke asks basically the question here. And maybe that's why we're not joyful. Because we are not devoted to the fellowship, brothers and sisters, to look to each other and be so happy that we're together and we found Jesus or Jesus found us, whatever you want to put it. And we are bounded 
through the Holy Spirit in Christ we're one. Oh, how dear the fellowship is in Jesus. Amen. How glad I am to be here. Yes. And after that, they were, they were devoted to breaking the bread. It's the first time when it appears in our text. Luke used it twice. And I think here it talks about this remembering of the death of Jesus. We know from other New Testament writings that when they were coming together, they were also eating. But the breaking of bread here probably refers to what is known now by Lord's Supper. They love to remember what the Lord has done for them. The gospel of Christ was, was so central to their gatherings, and it has to be central to our gatherings. And after that, you see them, another thing there. They were devoted to what? The last one, to prayers. How can you, did you ever ask this question, how can you be devoted for prayers for others if you don't know the people around you? There are people going to churches, they don't even know the names of people in the church. How can you pray for other people in your church if you don't know them? So we should read in, you know, we should go more profound in what Luke says here. Luke says that those people knew each other. They knew their needs. And you see that afterwards when they started talking about their generosity and sharing lives together. They were, they knew each other. They knew there's a brother that knew, needs a car. I mean, they, they didn't drive cars, but I'm just bringing it to us. You know, they, they, need somebody, they knew about somebody that got sick and didn't have the money to pay the hospital bill. They knew you know, somebody that, that needs that and, and needs that. They, need, they knew that family that just had a baby and they just cannot you know, take care of him because you know, they have some health issues. They knew all of that. And they were praying for each other for all of that. So they were devoted. They were so faithful to praying for each other. So when I see this, you know, I see people that were joyful to know each other, to, to learn about each other, and to pray for each other. How much do you know the people in your church? How much do you pray for the people in your church? Maybe you don't pray for them because you don't know them. And maybe you should know them more so you can pray more for them. Did church... Why don't we experience the same uncommon joy? Perhaps we should speak the word of Christ more to each other. Maybe we should have more real fellowship and not just social time. Maybe we should make the gospel more central in our gatherings. Maybe we should pray more. Maybe we should learn to pray more. But, you know, don't forget a practical aspect here. It's not just about community because community means people. So because of that, I want to make this very practical and very personal. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? You. Day after day after day, how much time do you spend in the Word of God? How much do you expect to be with your brothers and sisters? How do you wake up on Sundays? How do you wake up on Wednesdays? How do you wake up when you know you're going to see a brother and sister and have a coffee and just read something together and have fellowship and pray? How do you expect that? How, how do you look that with anticipation? How dear are, are they to your heart? How much do you pray for them? How much do you 
care for them. And after that, the second thing presented here by Luke and answering to our question, the second thing is setting forth an uncommon generosity. So it's not just this, this dedication, this devotion, but it's a generosity that I think it comes out of this, this uh, uh, dedication. Dedication leads to this generosity, and I see that in God. Yeah, God is very dedicated to, his, to himself and to his glory, and from that we see a God that is generous. Yeah. And Luke describes here their unity in two ways. They were together, and they had all things in common. They were generous in their interaction with each other and with their belongings. Yeah. It was not just what they had, but what they were giving as a time. You know, in America there is a saying, Time means what? Money. You know, I, it was interesting. I had several people come to me after I preached this message in, in, in one church, and, and they said, Nick, yeah, it, it's, it's so easy to, to give money, but it's so hard to give time. But when you, he, when you see here generosity, it's not just about what they're giving as money, as finances, as, as you know, uh, things, stuff. But they're giving their time. They're together. That means time. What, what this community of faith was practicing was not a primitive form of socialism, <laughs> but a generosity of heart or the needs of those that belong to Christ together with them, same body. Now, they were translating, if you want, into actions what Paul would eventually summarize as the, as the need to go to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Yeah. Are we more prompt to help an orphan than to help your brothers and sister? Are we more prompt to help a widow than to help a brother and a sister? Are you more prompt and ready to give to Ukrainians than to a brother and sister? One of the saddest things I see in Christianity today is that people are more open to give for social things than to brothers and sisters. I told you about those brothers in India. One of, the, one of the struggles we had was to find a place in Kolkata because we didn't have any money. So that's why we're like going around and around and around and around and around because we're trying to find something very cheap that Logos could afford to pay. But we sent a letter for some orphans that we're working with, and they were just a bunch of, you know, kids that, you know, had, 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 for years and years, so many people just gave them money, 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 money. And I've been working with them for years. And, and I sent a letter, and I've got $20,000, just like that, because they're orphans. And I... And I, I sent a letter for people to help our brothers in India to plant a church. 
and almost no money came in. Why? Hey, I'm not saying it's not good to help orphans and widows. Don't understand me wrong. I think it's wonderful, and we're actually going to see it in the text. that They're going to do that. But what the New Testament is saying over and over again, and most especially Paul, is that we should have a heart for our brothers and sisters and help them first before everything else. I mean, it's weird to go to a neighbor that is not a believer and to be, you know, to be ready to give him a lot of money but your brothers and sisters, you know, maybe don't have something to eat. And I know it's not the case in, in, in your country, but in Romania, sometimes you have brothers and sisters that do not have a bread, something to eat. They're starving. So I, I think this text is very powerful. And together with this, a lot of other texts in New Testament, and I think we as Christian, as Christian churches, we should... We should do something about this. We should be more for planting churches, for helping believers, for you know, uh, helping our brothers and sisters. There's so many, so many in Middle East and in Africa, brothers and sisters that whew, would be so cool to pray for them and help them. Amen? Amen. We should learn from this, and the joy comes from this. And I see, I see in this church, and I think Luke wants us to see this togetherness, this willingness to be there, involved in, in their lives. The last thing, and it, it, it's, I'm, I'm so ashamed to even look at this, is displaying an uncommon daily testimony. It says, Luke says, they were going to the temple each day. Why were they going to the temple? They're not Jewish people anymore. They did not go to the temple to worship. They were worshiping Messiah, which was the temple, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the temple. Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in how many days? In three days. And Jesus is the temple. That temple was temporary so, can, so people can meet God. But in Jesus, God met people. And that's why we're saved through that temple, through Jesus. And the Jewish people that understood that, and they were saved, they were going to the temple not to worship, but to outreach and tell other Jewish people, Hey, we found the Messiah! <laughs> Do you want to know about Him? Hey, we crucified Him, but He was rose again. We saw Him. So they were going daily to the temple to share about Jesus. And after that, Luke says that they were going in their homes and breaking bread. I don't think it talks about they were going in their home and taking the Lord's Supper again like it used to, you know, at the beginning of the text. I think they were going in their homes with people from the temple that they were witnessing to. And there were people that were poor that could not afford to have a piece of bread, so they will take them in their homes and breaking bread and feeding them. They took care of their brothers and sisters, and now they're taking care of the people that were not Christians. And they're having in their homes, and they're feeding them, but they were feeding them while they were telling them about Jesus. 
And you know, I think Luke is, is, is saying that. I really think he's saying that because the end of the passage is very powerful. Luke says, and God gave them favor to all, to all people. And not just there. And many were coming to Jesus when? Every day. Every day God was adding to their number. Why? Because of what they're doing. They're sharing the gospel. They're having non-believers in their homes. And they're feeding them. And they're giving Jesus. They're sharing the gospel. And God was giving them favor. And they were adding a lot of converts. And a lot of people were coming to the Lord. Through what they're doing. This is. This is so uncommon. When was the last time. When we had non-Christians in our home. When? When was the last time when at our table we opened the word of God and we started sharing with them about Jesus? When was the last time when we went in their temple where they're worshiping and tell them about Jesus? When? I think we should learn from, from this new church how to experience real joy. And it's coming through an uncommon daily testimony. Uncommon daily testimony. Why was the church doing this? Because they saw Jesus doing that. Jesus was so dedicated, so passionate to the will of the Father. So dedicated that he went to the cross and died. So when those people heard about Jesus... And his dedication, they said, we are ready to die with him. So they saw Jesus' dedication. They saw Jesus' generosity. Remember what Peter, what Paul was saying in, in 2 Corinthians, that Jesus became poor so we can become rich. Jesus became poor so we can become rich. Talking about generosity... Do you know somebody else that is more generous than Jesus? No. That is, that is generosity. To give up everything so others can be blessed. <laughs> Talking about an uncommon daily testimony, Jesus came to save who? The Pharisees? The, the rich poop people that, you know, the rich, the smart of Jewish people? No. The last. That's what Mark says. That's what Matthew says. He came to save the lost. How is your heart for the lost people? How is my heart for the lost people? You know, I think we should look at this first community, this first church, and after that, a mirror to Jesus and see, see his dedication and his, his generosity and his willingness to die for the lust and we should see, we should see that and we should ask Jesus to teach us to live like that you know you, today you, if you are <laughs> if you want to be joyful you, you want to experience this joy that I'm talking about and you, and you don't know Jesus there's no way you can experience this right. and Jesus died and Jesus was dedicated to the end. And Jesus did what he did so you can experience all of this and have the real joy. Amen. So this is the day of your salvation. 
This is the day when this joy really can start in your life. And, and if you are a believer, but you, you, know, you don't experience this uncommon joy. When you walk in a city, the, the city doesn't become joyful because Jesus is walking through you in the city. And that's, by the way, um, Acts 8. When Philip wa- walks into the city, Luke says the city was joyful. Just at, be- at the beginning of chapter 8. Very interesting. So if, if you want to if you wanna have that joy, may the Lord help you and help me to live with an uncommon dedication, with an uncommon generosity, and, and with an uncommon daily testimony. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Lord, one more time we read your word and we feel so ashamed. But it's good because when we feel ashamed and we see how weak we are, we see Jesus. (laughs) And we know, you know how much we need your son. He was dedicated to the end. He was generous. He is so generous to us today. Thank you for saving us. We were so lost. Lord, Would you be kind to work in us as individuals and as churches this uncommon joy that will transform our societies and our context and that joy of salvation will enter in our cities. Lord, would you do that, please? There's so much darkness. There's so much hate towards you in our cities. And we just sleep. We don't care for fellowship. We don't care for your word. We stumble and we stay there. Lord, give us, give us your grace. You said that when we are weak, people are going to see your power through the grace that you give us. Please give us grace to live com- as communities, as individuals that are passionate about living this life with you. Thank you. This is, thank you for giving us, you know, this text and and the way Luke wrote it. So we will be ashamed, but in the same time, we'll be encouraged that through the work of the Spirit and the Word of God, we can live like this. It is possible. It's normal when the Spirit, your Spirit comes into us and help us through your power to live this way. For your glory and for the good of many people that you chose from the foundations of the earth. In Jesus' name, in his precious name, I prayed. Amen.